if you build a trust with the team, you're going to have a team that's going to stand behind you, regardless of, you know, whatever direction you're going to take the, 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 the company, the, the department, the team to. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode 89. Today, we're talking about building a next generation industrial automation marketplace. Our guest this week is Roman Pischt, founder and CEO of QuoteBeam, a new company that's reducing friction in the purchasing process and building a marketplace for automation parts, quotes, and collaboration. Our episode covers quite a bit of ground beyond that, though, so here are three things you can expect from this episode. First, we'll hear about Roman's experience leading a team at Apple and what ultimately inspired him to start QuoteBeam. Next, we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of QuoteBeam and discuss some of the challenges they're addressing for manufacturers. If you're like me, you will definitely feel some of the pain points Roman mentions in this part of the interview. Finally, we'll talk big picture. We'll discuss some of the lessons Roman has learned from starting QuoteBeam, how things are going, and some of the bigger visions for the company. After this episode, if you want to learn more, make sure to head over to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 89. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating over on Spotify. If you're listening on Spotify, there's just a little button where you can leave that five-star rating on the main page of the podcast, or go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash Spotify. It'll take you right there. All right, it's time to get going. Before we jump in the interview, though, we need to chat about breweries and beverages with Roman Pischt. Roman, it is great to have you here. You and I have actually gotten to enjoy beverages together before at the A3 Business Forum, and, and we're doing a podcast today. So the first question always is, if we were having this conversation in person, where would we be having a drink? Describe that for me. Hi, Chris. It's it's really great to be here. Thank you for having me here. Uh, and yes, we did have a few drinks there. So uh, I think the answer to that question changes every month because there are so many great breweries that, you know, I'll, I'll say that every city now has a, you know so many breweries popping up. Uh, but I think if, right now my favorite will be Shadow Puppet. Uh, it's a s- small brewery in Livermore, California. What's really cool about those guys is uh, you can actually see the entire production facility right from what we see. So you see the tanks, you see all the pumps and sensors, you see things humming. Uh, it's really cool. And they, of course, they use a Wild Goose uh, canning machine, my, my old project. So it's always great to see something that, that's working well. It's funny. I uh, I used to live in California, and I have been to Shadow Puppet before out there in Livermore. It's it's a great spot. If uh, but my follow up question to this is whether it's a Shadow Puppet beer or not. What is your favorite beer? I think I'm gonna go with Hazy IPA. Uh, that's a that's a good choice. I um I always have more than a few varieties of Hazy IPA in my fridge. So. Well, well, that sets the tone, right? So let's say you and I are having some hazy IPAs at, at Shadow Puppet Brewing. You know, and when we start these interviews, the first thing I want to do is is get to know you. So first question is, you were you were working at Apple 
for a really long time before starting Quote Beam. You know, what were you working on at Apple? So see, that's that's an interesting question because if we were having Hazy IPA, I probably would tell you more than I should have. Uh, <laughs> so so of course I can't tell you everything, but yes, I did join Apple in 2016. I was there almost five years. I was part of the iPhone uh, product operations team, and my team specifically was focusing on optimization of equipment, manufacturing, and business processes uh, with a focus on uh, minimizing the capital expenditure spent on manufacturing machines. Basically, our, our goal was to uh, increase the production uh, throughput without increasing cost. So, so you were working at Apple, and you, know, you were there five years. And, and one thing that stuck out at me when we were first chatting with one another was you were, you were leading a team while you were there, right? And, you know, and I can speak from this personally, like when I've left roles before, I've I've always left individual contributor roles. It's never been where I had a, a team that was reporting to me and counting on me. So what was it like leaving Apple to start your own company? Let's start with that general question first. Uh, so, so I think leaving Apple was probably by far the most difficult decision in my professional career. Uh, Apple is a great company. I was part of a great team. I was working in really cool things. I really enjoyed it. But there was a, there was something that I wanted to do, right? And and if you think about it, uh, the things that we regret the most in our lives are not so much the things that we do, have done, uh, but the ones that we haven't, you know, the omissions. So at that point, I was thinking, okay, um, I had this idea and I wanted to do this. And either I'm going to do it now or I'm never going to do it. And if I didn't do it, I would spend the rest of my life thinking what would have happened if I actually tried. So uh, that's where I actually you know, decided that, yes, I'm going to do it. And here we are. That's our my uh, journey with Quobin began. I love that mentality. 100% agree that the things you regret are the things that you don't do versus the ones that you do. So great nugget there the follow-up to that and i was hinting at this a little bit is how do you prepare a team that reports to you and that counts on you for a departure like that it's a good question uh, actually if you if you need to prepare your team for departure uh there's probably a set of things that you're doing wrong uh i actually wasn't preparing my team for departure at all uh, when i started leading that team my 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 job was to provide direction mentorship um, motivate my team. Uh, I would challenge them uh, to go beyond things that they think are, are possible. And then my job was to open the doors and break the doors for them. You know, that's that. That was my job. And 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 I look at it from the perspective that I wanted everybody to take my job. Right? I want you to be as successful as you can be, so you can take my job. So when I left, I knew for sure that there is that team is perfectly. You know. Uh, capable of running without me. And what do you know? There's somebody else that just stepped up and, and took my place. I love that you talk about how it's, it starts years in advance, right? It's almost your sole function as a leader, not sole function, but one of the big functions is to prepare people to you know be leaders themselves and be okay even when you're not in the picture anymore. So with that, what advice do you have for leaders that are people managers when they move to a new role? I think the, the the answer to the question is a twofold, right? So if you if you're in a leadership position and you're moving to a different role with an existing team, uh, I I think the, the 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 recommendation is listen to them, 
don't don't try to bring a hammer on the very first day of work, right? Don't try to change things. You know, listen to the team. Um, you're gonna be able to learn a lot of stuff, right? And your goal is really to build trust. If you build the trust with the team, you're gonna have a team that's gonna stand behind you, regardless of you know whatever direction you're gonna take the the the, the, the company, the the department, the team to, right? If you don't, you're gonna fail. And the second part is uh, if you're moving into a leadership role that doesn't have a team and your job is to build a team, right? Start building the team from building the culture, right? What is the culture that you want to build? And a few recommendations that I would really recommend is, a few things that I would really recommend is inclusion and diversity. You know, uh, it really creates something that I learned at Apple. Apple was a very inclusive and diverse team. I think it was a great work environment, something that's that's probably really missing in, in manufacturing. Uh, so if you have opportunity to build a brand new team, build a team with that mindset. Love that advice. Diversity and inclusion, constant theme on this show as we talk about getting the next workforce ready. You talk about it in terms of, you know, making sure your team is prepared after you leave the things that you do to prepare a team for success. You know, it's hard to believe that we've done like over like a hundred episodes of this show. And this is the first time I've talked to someone about, hey, how do you prepare for that time when the leader moves into a new role? So appreciate you taking us there. We're going to shift gears a little bit, Roman, because I want to talk about quote beam now. You know, you gave a little hint uh, earlier. It's like, hey, you know, you knew you'd regret it if you didn't do this. But what inspired you to create quote beam? Yeah, so... The big idea behind Cobeam, it didn't just happen overnight. Uh, it started about two decades ago when I graduated with my engineering degree. I started working in the industry and uh, started designing different systems for industrial automation machines. And when I was doing that, I would interact with my suppliers, my distributors, you know, and they were providing me with two things. One, they were, they were supplying me with parts. And second is they were providing me technical expertise to questions that I didn't have an answers to. So there was a lot of value that these suppliers were providing to me. And that type of interaction uh, didn't, you know, didn't change for my entire career. It just stays the same. And there was another thing that hasn't changed. Uh, and that was the fact that working the logistics of that interaction, working with these distributors, you know, from collaboration, getting quotes, getting getting things on order, you know, checking stuff, is has been painful, very time consuming, and took a lot of a lot of effort, right? So, uh, you know, uh, that's that that was one of the things that I realized that you know it, there was an opportunity to change. And and I decided that we're gonna we you know we're gonna change this. We're gonna you know we had we actually uh, have an opportunity to uh, change you know mo modernize the, the the collaboration and procurement process for industrial uh, industrial parts. Yeah, I'm 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 not surprised to hear that the company came out of some of the challenges that you were having as an engineer. That seems to be the way things things often go. You know, before this interview, you all, you were also telling me that there are really two aspects to quote beam. There's a transactional transactional aspect and a converse, uh, conversational aspect. Can you tell us uh, how both of these are part of your solution? Yes. So uh, when anytime you interact with your customers or you interact with your suppliers, uh, there are two parts to that uh, interaction. One is, uh, as you mentioned, uh, conversational. This is, these are all the questions that we ask 
uh, about the product, about the project. You know, we exchange technical information back and forth. Uh, then we ask about the quotations, you know, pricing, you know, uh, availability. So uh, basically, you have hundreds of emails and 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 you know more phone calls, right? So that that is the co conversational part. And then we have a uh, we have transactional part. Uh, this is where you want to get a quote. Then this is where you want to see the stock. This is when you place action order, you get order confirmations. So that brings you to more emails, more phone calls, uh, more PDFs, and more uh, Excel spreadsheets. As a matter of fact, when I was an engineer, I was doing that work, um, I would have all that information coming to me, and I would create a spreadsheet and uh, build my billimeters and spreadsheet. Back then, our company was using SAP for uh, ERP system. Uh, not very friendly, you know, super powerful, not friendly. So I would, you know, myself and my, our, my, my engineers, we would actually compile billimeters on Excel spreadsheets. You know, we bring all the part numbers, copy paste, uh, we would uh, bring uh, all the pricing, you know, all the, all the you know, uh, uh, stock information. So I, I think I became an expert in Excel spreadsheet uh, way faster than became a good engineer. So that was a, that was an interesting thing, you know. So uh, it, it's super disconnected, you know. It, it like I mentioned before, it takes enormous amount of time. So when we built Coolbeam, we didn't really focus on the product so much, uh, but on the experience. We focus on the experience to you know between those two aspects the conversational and transactional so we built Coolbeam in a way that uh brings all the product data so we actually digitalize uh product data from uh hundreds of different manufacturers you know abb schneider siemens you know all of them uh then we build the e-commerce on top of that you know uh we build a a, a really easy way to find those parts uh, get information about the parts, all the product data that's there. Uh, we connected all the suppliers directly to them, so you can you can find parts, you can find suppliers. Um, you know the the checkout process. We made it super super easy. I think there's so many companies out there trying to do e-commerce uh, solutions, uh, and the checkout process is so cumbersome. It, it's just so difficult. So you know what we did, Chris? Everybody shops on Amazon. So we decided that why not create a checkout that mimics Amazon? And that's what we did. One page, you know, a few clicks here, you're done. So that's what we did. So we built this, this product plus transactional uh, element of our site. And then we built collaboration that sits on top of it. So when, when, when you come to our site, you can find the suppliers. You can start uh, chatting with them through online chat. Uh, from one place, so you don't have to bump, you know, bounce around between, you know, uh, 10, 20, 50 different websites. You can do it all for one place, um, and then we brought the conversations and transactions all into one place as well. You know, because you know, I, I'm going to give an example, and I actually done it uh, on a different site uh, a couple of weeks ago. I contacted contacted a company through the online chat, and they asked for for a quote. And they say, yeah, sure. I'm gonna. What's your email address? I'm gonna, you know, email it to you. Uh, so I I gave them the email address, and then I got an email, you know, a couple hours later with with a quote. And then I had questions about the quote. So what do you think I'm gonna do when I have a questions about the quote? Probably sending an email back. I would assume, right? You get a back and forth going. Exactly. Exactly. So in the first place, I wanted to do online chat because super convenient. 
But then you take that online chat and move it back to the email, you know, back to the place where, you know, I hate because, you know, it just wrote too many, too many emails, right? So what we did is, is we connected the e-commerce, the, the ERP with the collaboration tools. So um, as, as you're interacting with your customer through that uh, interface, uh, and you need to share product data about your, you know, uh, server motor or controller. You can just push the product information directly to the chat. So now, you know, the the, the user can just open it up. They can see it. They can, you know, have more conversations. Uh, and 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 the next step after that is really, you know, okay, now let's let's get to the 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 quotation part, right? Let's let's see mm-hmm. what is what 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 that's gonna cost me. Uh, the agent actually can do the chat, you know, in a matter of right now, it takes about two minutes for, for the agent to do the quote. And we have a path to bring it out to 20 seconds um, and they can push the quote directly to the chat. You know, and then if you really want to place an order, you can do that from the chat you know, itself. You, you don't have to leave that page. You can do everything in one place. So, you know, that, that, that's, that's how, how we are you know, bringing this conversational and, and uh, transactional elements together in Quobi. Well, I think it's easy to, you know, when you think of the purchasing process, the quoting process, how you go about getting parts, right? It's very easy to think about, hey, the transaction itself and then the conversation that takes place to get it and how you've simplified that, put it into one spot. I think something that really stuck out uh, in in that description there was when you were describing like when you get to that final checkout page, right? Roman, I can't tell you how many times I get to a checkout page and that's where like the wheels fall off, right? Like everything else has been going smoothly. And that's like the last place you want friction because at that point, someone's ready to buy. So, you know, I I love what you've done. Maybe let's take what you just described. Can you share, um, you know, uh, a story that illustrates what what this looks like in practice, what Quotebeam does? Sure. Uh, so uh, there was actually a really good uh, use case that we had uh, about a month ago or so. Uh, there was a there was an engineer, it's a young engineer, uh, mm-hmm. out of, out of uh, a small company. They manufacture equipment for plastic plastic uh, manufacturing, and uh, it's a it's it's a company in the East Coast. And he was working on a new project, right? And and basically he he was already using our site here and there. He liked it, and uh, we talked a little bit more. And basically, what we did is we first we started with uh, putting together a small supply network for him. So basically, a couple of suppliers that you know we told them, listen, these guys are really going to help you. They're really good about providing technical expertise. Uh, we put that all on a Cobin framework. We give him a place to uh, create building materials. You know, so no more spreadsheets. He was able to create building materials in in our platform. And they started interacting. There was a lot of going back and forth. The those supplier, those distributors were helping him to define, refine his bill of materials. Said, "Hey, you know, use this part or use that part. Don't use this part because it's not in stock, but you can, you know, use you know something else." And uh, there was a lot of going back and forth. And later on, we 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 sat down with the customer of this engineer and said, "You know what? I, I really want to know." How many emails would it, would you get if you didn't do that interaction? The number was 500. We saved 500 emails out of out of his mailbox just by moving everything from the email into the online conversations. So um, that was that, that 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 was the first thing. You know, the second thing was as as the suppliers were helping him, define, you know, put together the bill of materials. Uh, the interesting is that he has never asked for a quotation from them. 
because as they were adding the parts, they were quoting that for him automatically. So he, that entire step was gone. So by the time he was he was finished with this uh, entire project, he had all the pricing. He knew exactly which parts are stock, which parts you know had longer lead time. Um, and normally, a project like this with all these interaction going back and forth with emails. And by the way. Uh, Sometimes you can you can wait as wait as long as one week to get an answer from a supplier, right? With an email, mm -hmm. and some, it's not because they don't like you, right? It's 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 because uh, the email goes into the queue, and mm -hmm. uh, some people go bottoms up. Um, I'm not one of those. I go top down. So I I I start with the latest one. So you know I'm actually the worst out of everybody because I have a with me. There's a big chance that you're gonna. I'm gonna miss the email because I'm never gonna get to the bottom. Uh, so uh, we saved 500 emails for him, uh, and 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 then when this was all done, normally it would take about four weeks, you know, going back and forth, you know, to 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 get to the point where you're actually ready to place the purchase orders. That entire conversation was done in two days. In two days, he was done. Everything is ready. And at that point, going back to that uh, Amazon checkout uh, page, it was just one click. And with one click, you know, we just routed all the purchase orders, you know, to, to the right suppliers. Uh, he was, he was, you know, he basically was done. And, and, and then that was, that was basically a new project. And a lot of times you, you come back later on and say, Hey, I need to repeat that project. Right. And need to buy it again. Now the challenges are, especially right now, uh, you really need to know what your cost is, because because uh, whatever cost you had last last month, this month is different. You know, uh, I I talk with a lot of distributors and they say that they're getting price increases, uh, two, three, four times a year. So um, it is just, it's just insane. So one of the biggest challenges right now, you know, for those companies is to really you know understand what is my cost, right? Because um, I need to. My customer asked me for more machines. I need to deliver, and I have to deliver them in you know four to eight weeks, or sometimes even faster. Um, if you need to requote the system, you know, and and understand what your pricing is, uh, that engineer actually had that case. You know, two weeks later, they he basically hey, we need to build another one. Uh, he clicked one button. Twenty minutes later, he had an updated costing. He knew exactly which parts uh, he has a problem with. There was there was three parts that he they were not in stock. He you know uh, he needed to somebody need to you know work on it, uh, and then uh, one more click and he basically placed all the POs. So the entire process took you know twenty minutes. So that was a, I think that was a great use case and and you know uh, we want to do more of it. Well, I could I had a very emotional reaction to when you said 500 emails because roman i am also very bad with email i'm a top-down guy also i go from you know if i i keep emails unread to know if i didn't respond to it or not that's the only way i know i get to things but uh yeah to save my inbox of 500 emails or even 250 or 100 emails i can see anyone wanting that but you've got something to add there as well Yes, actually, uh, it's 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 funny story. Uh, the the email situation was actually the nail in the coffin that decided you know pushed me to really pursue that 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 uh, journey. Uh, I know that this industry historically has been slow moving, you know, slow to adopt. I mean, it's creating great technology, but when it comes to you know uh, adopting technology itself, you know, in in our interaction, it, it's been kind of slow, right? 
and uh, I think it was a uh, almost a uh, one year into the pandemic last year, back when I was in Apple, and um, I had thirty five thousand unopened emails. And and I literally, I mean, at that point, the, the emails were just coming. Everything's email. Everything's email. And just, you're a popular I, guy, Roman. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's everybody. I mean, at Apple, a lot of people had that, right? There's everybody now. You know, no no meetings. It's just email and updates and question, right? Uh, and I thought it was just me. Yeah, I thought I was the bad guy not taking care of my mailbox, right? Um, I started asking other people, and not just in Apple, outside of Apple. And everybody was having the same problems. You know, um, everybody was like, okay, I'm getting so many emails. I cannot handle this. I mean, I, I cannot reply to them. And and, and, then, and part of the reason why distributors, some distributors are struggling getting back to the customers is because all those emails go into one mailbox, right? Or somebody's mailbox. It doesn't even need to go to one uh, common mailbox. And then just sits in a queue, right? And, and they can't process them fast enough. I love that we've gotten to talk about quote beam, get to understand what you do. We'll definitely be sharing how to connect with you at the end of the episode and in the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com. I'm going to switch gears again, though, and talk about startups in general, right? You've been doing this for a little while now. You know, what's an unexpected, like an unexpected challenge that's come up since entering the startup world and, and how did you overcome it? Yeah, so there, there was, there was a startup being uh, building a startup is actually interesting journey you know uh you you get to break things and nobody's gonna yell at you right uh and then you try to you know figure out how to break you know uh fix that uh there was actually one really interesting challenge that we ran into it uh, i think it was uh in the early stages of our product development we were working on collaboration and uh, you know, we didn't have our own collaboration tools developed yet. Uh, so we partnered with a third party company. Uh, they were the, we, we adopted their uh, online chat and they had those features that allow you to create kind of like a experiences and you could automate those experiences. So we had a you know, Autobot that would uh, ask questions and we called the bot Zoe. So, um, and, and then we set it up in a way that if you're, if you're a customer and, and, and we want to start a chat with a distributor and we put that on the distributor's website, uh, we want to chat, we, you can start chatting immediately. You didn't have to, we, we wouldn't ask you a single question, but, uh, you know, of course, you know, distributor wants to know who do they talk to, right? Even just to be polite and, and say, you know, hey, Chris, you know, it's great to see you, right? I would like to know that your name is Chris, but when you start chatting, I know nothing. So we, we defined that uh, experience in a way that Zoe would ask questions. You know, of course, she would greet you nicely, you know, uh, and then she would ask you questions. Can you tell me your first name? You know, so, you know, we see, okay, they, they put the first name. What's your second name? What's your company name? What's your email address? And this is where we, you know, uh, realized that we have underestimated human psychology. Uh, this is where people, you know, people basically hate it. People do not like to, you know, maybe they can answer one question, right? But they do not want to answer the, this whole line of questions. And it was funny because, you know, the, 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 some of the responses were hilarious. Others were kind of, kind of rude. But uh, the, the one that was really funny is uh, Zoe asked for the name. And, and that person, you know, said Mickey Mouse. And, and, and you know what? I mean, it wasn't super smart AI, so it just continued the conversation. So, you know, you know, the next question was, okay, Mickey Mouse, can you please tell me your email address? 
and 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 basically it was it was super hilarious. But you know the 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 challenge that we we got into is that we couldn't get a really good conversations with with the, with with these customers because they just hate the process, right? You know uh, they have a need, but they just hate the process. So when we release our beta version of our collaboration tools, we change that. Uh, we actually decided that we are gonna ask the questions. Uh, we still, you know, uh, working our way through, you know, asking those questions at the very beginning, you know, uh, in, a, in a way that uh, it's not very intrusive. Uh, and one thing that we realized that if you put the agent's pictures in a chat while you're asking them to fill in that information actually creates that closer personal connection. So the user's more likely, you know, put that information out. But in, in, in so, so we, we made it as a requirement. But in, in either case, we noticed that 40% of the users are still not going to go through. So even though they have a need, for them, it's just the, 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 uh, the barrier to cross that point of entering that information was just too much and they would just drop off, right? So uh, we we focus on that particular uh, aspect of collaboration and we decided, okay, how can we minimize, you know, that 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 barrier and, and encourage the users to actually put that information because once, once the agent knows who they talk to, they can actually provide great customer service, right? But they need to know, you know, who you are. So what we did is we we actually created what's called the distributed collaboration network uh, and a cross-site authentication. What it means is that when uh, when a user comes to Corbin.com and 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 they start chatting through Corbin.com, um, at at some point they might you know browse the internet and they might go to a distributed site, let's say Paramatic. Uh, they go to Paramatic and they want to start with them chatting you know with them as well. So normally, the chat would ask them for the same contact information, right? But because we're authenticating them through Quobeam, uh, the, the chat on Paramatic website is not going to ask them for that information because we already know who that user is, and we're passing that information because Paramatic is part of the Quobeam network. So any distributor that uses uh, collaboration tools that they can install on their own website, through Quobeam, we're actually helping authenticate the users to reduce that barrier of entry to, to the chat. Mm. I, uh, you know, the, the the more I hear about this, you know, it's it's uh it's funny. I'm I'm thinking back to to Apple now. Another question that's come up as you reflect on these lessons, and it always seems like in our industry, like figuring out the right amount of automation and the right amount of AI is a dial that needs to be tweaked back and forth, so that way you don't have Mickey Mouse um, showing up to your chats, but. You know, let, let's go back to Apple again. Another lesson I'd love to hear from you is, you know, what's something you learned from Apple that's helped you at QuoteBeam? I think one thing that was the most important for me, besides the the, uh, the company culture and building the teams, uh, was uh, the importance of data. Uh, you know, as, as engineers, as we are building machines and designing and building machines, we don't focus on data so much. We enable you know, systems to collect data, but we don't focus on data. So until I joined Apple, I wasn't really focused on data, you know, because I, I, I just didn't work with it. When I joined Apple, Apple basically collects, you know, uh, billions, billions sets of you know, points of data throughout the entire manufacturing process. Uh, and when you start looking at that data, 
you start seeing patterns. You 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 start seeing things that normally you're not gonna see it. And it's you know, uh, and especially when when you connect different sets of you know data and you can create a a, a landscape. Uh, and that was actually you know one of the most successful way of of us for for optimization. So that that focus on data is something that brought to 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 Coolbeam. And as as we're building a digital platform and we have a, you know user interactions and user traffic, you know, and, and we, as we're trying to create that absolute absolute great use outstanding user experience. Uh, the data is something that allows us to really, you know, narrow down what is the right way of doing it, right? How can we, um, how can we segment, you know, different different user groups? You know, how can we create an experience that, you know, is is more valuable for one group or the other? You know, or you know, uh, do we really need to focus on that? Is this really a problem, right? And the the you know, uh, if the only way to really answer the question is by using data. You're not the first Apple alumni that has brought up data as one of the big lessons they've pulled from there. They must uh, they must be doing a few things right over there. You, you know, uh, it's, it's 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 actually uh, interesting. Uh, I I think I learned that in Apple. Uh, we have a lot of meetings, and uh, and then people come to the meetings, and and then they 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 basically you know talk about things, and they say we should do things you know this way that way. Um, it's not just Apple. Any 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 company has the same way, right? And my favorite thing is that uh, if if you come to a meeting and if you present some numbers, right? Uh, and if you don't have a data behind it, uh, what you have is an opinion. And, and you know, we don't make decisions based on opinion. We make decisions based on data. So the best way to make the right decision is really to use the data. Excellent way to summarize that, opinions versus data. You know, as we get towards the end of our conversation, one, another big thing that, that stuck out in our previous discussions is you've told me that procuring parts is just a byproduct of quote beam, but you're really trying to create a collaboration between parts suppliers and engineers. Can you share more about this bigger vision that you have? Yes, yeah, so so maybe I'm gonna soften that byproduct a little bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I think I know I did mention that, but I wouldn't call it byproduct. It's a net, you know, uh, it's, it's a necessary step that needs to happen. If you want to build your product, you have to buy the parts, right? Uh, but before you get to that part, you have to, you know, basically when you get to that part point, you know exactly what you need to buy, but you need to get to that process, to that, that point, and, and you need to really, you know, figure out what part is that you need to buy. Uh, there's actually a term for that. It's called uh, first mile of procurement. So everything that happens before you actually place that PO. And that's kind of going back to my, my origins of the pain point that I had uh, when I was working as an engineer. Is that you know, I was working with uh, uh, distributors, I was working with uh, uh, suppliers, meaning parts manufacturers, and I always rely on their you know, technical expertise. There's, you know, uh, and I think I learned that in, 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 uh, in college when one of my professors said that, hey, you know, the engineers, they don't have to know everything. They just need to know where to find the information, right? Uh, and I found that information, you know, in the, you know, uh, in the you know, vast majority of distributors and, and the parts manufacturers. Uh, and, and I think there was a, there was a case, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, where I was working a project. I had one, one day to design it, and I needed to get hold of somebody, right? Uh, and I couldn't get hold of anybody. I actually jumped into a car, 
I drove 30 minutes to my distributors, brought all the drawings and say, hey, here's my project. I need help and I need help today. I need to order the parts today, right? So uh, we actually, you know, at Quobin, we actually focus on heavily on that part, you know, on, on how can we, you know, uh, best facilitate those conversations, those discussions. And, and the way we look at it is, if you're an engineer or procurement buyer, right? You, you, what you really want to do is you want to build a team around you, right? So think about, you know, you're a quarterback. You need to, you know, have a team that's gonna provide you defense. You, you know, you need a wide receiver. You got everybody there, right? And who is your team? Uh, those are your product manufacturers, you know, that that make the parts for you. Those are your distributors, right? So you need to surround yourself, you know, with that. Uh, the biggest challenge with that, and, and by the way, they have technical resources and they're super happy to help you spec the parts, you know, uh, help you design the, the, the project. They have resources. The biggest challenge with that is if I'm an engineer, how do I integrate your team with my team without adding more work to me, right? Because I don't want more emails. I don't want spreadsheets and PDFs, right? So, uh, so we actually saw an opportunity and a need um, and, and what we're doing, we, we're creating so-called uh, manufacturing support network. And what it is, is we're using fra uh, Corbin Framework, and we're actually expanding it a little bit right now as we speak. Uh, we're building Corbin Framework to provide uh, bill of materials, you know, ability to track bill of materials, to bring uh, collaboration and that uh, transactional uh, marketplace. And we're creating a network of selected manufacturers. We started with selected manufacturers, that provide uh, high quality technical support or are capable of providing high uh, quality technical support through online channels. Uh, and we are putting that together as a, as, as one package, right? And we also bring in distributors that can provide a product from those manufacturers. And basically, you know, you have this, this, this one page, one, one dashboard, when you can actually, you know, reach out to any of these distributors through online chat, which is an instant re response. You have a whole team behind it. Uh, and they can actually not just answer the questions, but they can actually help you put together your bill of materials. And we are actually giving them ability to, you know, uh, create a branch of bill of materials where you can say, you know, here, here, here's a branch for you. This is what I need, please help me, right? Uh, and, and, and that really creates that cohesive environment where, you know, uh, parts manufacturers, distributors, and, and engineers and procurement buyers work together. So that's that that's in the works. We you know, Right now, we have a few manufacturers that agreed to join the network, you know, and we're still working on, you know, kind of, you know, bringing others. We, we're evaluating which, which manufacturers are, are, are a good fit for that. Well, there's no doubt, you know, building a community doesn't happen overnight. You know, how, how do you see the ecosystem evolving? Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to grow, you know, uh, I think, you know, especially in the, uh, in the, in the online stage, you know, uh, when we have less in-person interactions, we need to, those interactions, you know, are not going to go away. They need to take place, you know, they're necessary, right? So I see that those interactions are going to move, move into online, uh, uh, space. So, uh, I see that eco ecosystem really growing a few ways. What I think it's gonna go is uh, we we we're gonna start with this you know first prototype of this you know manufacturing support network right, uh, but manufacturing support network if you're building a robotic cell is gonna be different from if you're building a a mixing tank for a brewery 
right? You know, so you know, for that, you're going to need a different network. So we see that the the, the different networks are going to be growing, right? Uh, I also see potential for companies creating alliances, right? You know, let's say you have a company that manufacture power supplies, um, and they want to bring a company that uh, brings a vision, vision vision expertise to it, right? And they can say, you know, we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna work together, right? And actually, I actually have seen this thing in Bay Area. There's there's a number of uh, uh, sales engineers from those different companies uh, where they partner together. They have meetings every every month, and they basically when when somebody has a project with a customer and customer needs more parts, they bring more more uh, team members to it. So, so we see that you know there's going to be more networks being developed. I also see more players coming to that network itself because it's not just parts manufacturers, right? You know, uh, I think you have other robotic, really cool robotic companies that do really cool stuff that add a lot of value. Uh, Ready Robotics uh, on Robot, uh, those are you know two companies that just stand out. Uh, and then you have uh, service providers, you know. Companies that uh, engineering design firms, uh, com companies or, or even individuals that can provide uh, programming services for for PLCs. So I really, you know, see that there, there, there's more players that can come to it to the point where you know, a, 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 if you're an engineer, you want to build your own network, you can just gonna pick all these players, right, and put them all together, and and now you have a really great team that will really accelerate the, the entire design process of your machine and will reduce, let's say, deliver from eight weeks. And now maybe you can deliver in four weeks. Yeah, man, that, that grew beyond what I thought we were talking about. You got programmers involved now, our friends over at Ready Robotics. I mean, I'm excited to see how the community around Quote Beam grows. And we've covered a lot of ground today, Roman. We talked about your experience at Apple, talked about what Quote Beam does, how that's been going from a startup standpoint as well. Um, hopefully, you and I will be grabbing some hazy IPAs again sometime soon. But uh I have to ask, what is uh, what's the best way to connect with you and Quotebeam? So, uh, I I think the best way is just go to Quotebeam.com and start chatting with us. You know, um, you know, um, I'm not gonna tell you send me an email because I, I would lie about everything that I just said. Uh, just, <laughs> just start chatting with us. All right, I love it. I will make sure to have a link over to Quotebeam there so you can start the chat. They've already started chatting with Mickey Mouse, so make sure you don't pick that name. But uh, no, Roman, it's it's been great having you on the show today, and I genuinely do look forward to hopefully grabbing a drink with you again soon. My pleasure, Chris. Thank you. Cheers. Hey, hey, thanks for listening, and thank you to Roman jumping on today's show. As always, you can learn more by going to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 89. That'll take you straight to this episode. There you'll have links to Quote Beam, Roman's LinkedIn, and of course, Shadow Puppet Brewing in Livermore, California. Before we wrap up, I want to give a quick thank you to our sponsors. I know you all have been hearing a lot about A3, the Association for Advancing Automation on this show lately. Mentioned at the start of the interview, actually, that's where Roman and I got to meet in person at one of their events. But hey, the real sponsor I want to give a shout out to, I want to welcome Quotebeam to the Manufacturing Happy Hour Partner family. If you want to learn more about them, well, you just spent a good time, good amount of time listening to this episode, but you can go to manufacturinghappyhour.com/quotebeam. It'll take you right back to the show notes page and any other features that we bring 
bring up with them in the future. So, hey, big thanks to QuoteBeam for sponsoring today's show. I hope you all enjoyed getting to know their CEO and founder, Roman, a bit more over the past 40 or so minutes. Finally, if you liked the episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating over at Spotify. ManufacturingHappyHour.com slash Spotify will take you right there. Or presumably, if you're a Spotify listener, well, you're probably already on that app. So, hey, hit that button. Leave us that five-star rating. It definitely helps us out. All right, folks, that's it for this week. Stay innovative. Stay thirsty. Catch you again next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.